0: Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a storytelling podcast. And this week, I was really honored to get to sit down with Pastor John Anwuchekwa. And he sat down and shared his story with me. And his story includes a lot of grief from the loss of his older brother, and infertility, walking that journey with his wife and adoption. Um, there's just so much in this conversation. It was so rich. He sheds so much wisdom on so many things. He was so vulnerable about some really dark places he got to in his grief journey and how he was able to heal from that and where he's at today. Um, just so, so much good stuff. I really, really encourage you to listen. We talk extensively about his book. We go on where his story is detailed, um, in that book. So listen, if you're an audiobook type of person, it is available on Audible. So you've heard me say it before and I'll say it again. You can go to audibletrial.com slash SWE. That's audibletrial.com slash SWE. And you can get a free trial and also download John's book, We Go On. Okay. So I know you're absolutely going to love this conversation. So stay tuned. John, thanks so much for coming on So What Else? Welcome.
1: Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, I'm so excited. I got to start with, how do you pronounce your last name? I didn't even want to try. I would butcher it.
1: Uh, Anwu Chekwa. So if you look at it, it's synthetic. Anwu Chekwa.
0: You're right. I'm looking at your book right now. Anwu Chekwa. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's not actually as hard as you would think it would be.
1: Uh, (laughs) It's not.
0: All right. I love that. I love that. And you're Nigerian, right?
1: Yep. I
0: love it. I, how does your daughter do with the last name, spelling it and everything?
1: So spelling it, my daughter's five right now. So yeah. we're, we're with the first name, right? First name is three letters, A-V-A. So
0: very easy. that.
1: She can say the last name and yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Getting there. That's we'll yeah.
1: Spell later. Yeah, yeah. yeah spell it all the time.
0: Totally. My daughter's five too. And okay. our last, I mean, our last name is Elliot. You can't get much more simple than that. And she right. can't even really spell Elliot. So right. I can't really imagine... On Chikwa, But she'll get there. That's yeah. awesome. So listen, I have been so excited to talk to you. I finished your book this week. Loved it. If yeah. we had endless amounts of time, I have like 37,000 things I'd love to talk to you about. Okay. Like I, I would want to talk to you about racial inequality stuff, church planting, yeah. the Southern Baptist Convention, your coffee company, like all, all of the things. But right, for the right. purposes of this conversation... I'd love to focus talking about your brother, Sam, and then sure. also about the journey that your wife and you walked through infertility and adoption and stuff like that. So I am just so excited to get to talk to you about that stuff. And then I'll just have to have you back one day to talk about everything oh, else that I have. <laughs> so why don't you just introduce yourself to everyone before we dive in?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm John Anwachequa. I am uh, 37, a month from being 38. So, so I'm not sure when this will air. I, I turned 38 in July.
0: Nice. Um, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'm a husband to Chandra. It'll be 15 years for us this fall. Wow. Uh, father to Ava. Uh, I'm a pastor, author, entrepreneur, creator, just and I just like to do a bunch of things. So, yeah. I live. I pastor and I own a business in the same neighborhood. So most of my life takes place in like five square blocks.
0: I love that. That's awesome. You're down in Atlanta, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What's your temperature today? Are you guys burning up down
1: there? Uh no, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like 85 90. Not so, too bad. Okay. Yeah, there's been storms and stuff. It's been overcast. So yeah. We've yeah. been
0: the same. I'm up in Jersey and it's been like stormy and crazy, right. like just even this morning. So, you know, it's that beginning of summer weirdness yeah, yeah, yeah. where like the world can't figure out what what it is, what's it, what it's doing. So strange. <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. So listen, before we dive in and I would love to talk about your brother, Sam, you know, as I said, I finished your book this week. I, you know, was really drawn to your story in particular and your book because I lost my older brother about eight years ago. Mm. So I knew that. Obviously, when I bought your book and I was just really excited to hear about, you know, just your grief journey and like your healing through that. So I connected with your story mm-hmm. so much. But you did mention something in the book that I want to get to before we talk about Sam, about yeah. your family traveling to Nigeria at some point when you were like in high school. Right. And you were held at gunpoint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was 20 years ago this <sighs> summer. And I feel wow. like. Wow. Yeah. Just the point in my life really. Like changed right the what death does and thoughts of, about death do is i think it it, it gives you a sobriety on yeah. life and so it 20 years ago the summer after i graduated high school and was uh before i was getting ready to go to college i got robbed at gunpoint on this dirt road in the middle of nigeria mm-hmm. and uh yeah there's nothing like being 17 years old and thinking that you have everything that you worked for, right. The girl you thought was the girl of your dreams the Mm -hmm. you know, getting ready to play ball at the school that you thought, uh, so like all the stuff that you worked for, you have it. And then realizing how impotent it, it, it all is and that it could just be snatched quick. That changed my perspective on life. I feel like in an instant and it was 20 years ago and I haven't recovered from it yet. So yeah. yeah.
0: I can't imagine. I'm sure you have like trauma responses still.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still a little yeah, it yeah, jumpy at sometimes. I'm still hyper aware, right? It's been 20 years, but since that time, I I think there's never been a time that I've been, you know, in a restaurant or driving at night or walking and just not like hyper uh, aware of my surroundings so there's that part that i haven't quite recovered from and then there's the part of i feel like that it was in that point that life just became yet clear and and i saw like there's got to be more to life than the things that i gave myself to and it's Mm -hmm. in that way i've i've yeah tried to live with a sense of all right I am going to die one day. And I know that. And I want what mm-hmm. I've done in the world to outlive me.
0: Yeah, totally. And I mean, for being so young, you were what, like 17, 18?
1: 17. So the summer before that's... I was going to go off to college.
0: Oh, that's so young. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, you know, almost everyone in the world has either like known someone who's died or something like that. So like, we right. do know that death is real in that sense but not a lot of people like listening to this right now have probably come so close right, to right facing right. death like you did especially at such a young age right. and that can really change you
1: yeah yeah so it it does and you find yourself you know you go through the whole cycle so it's mm-hmm. like before that i think most of us have a tendency to forget about death just mm-hmm. act like it's Not there, it's not real. Um, and then when you find yourself in like a near-death experience or somebody close to you dies, we kind of go to the other extreme and then we fixate on death, right? And so so it is one thing to know death could be around any corner. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to live as if death is around every corner, right? And totally. Yeah. So kind of those are the two ends that you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so good. So that was your whole family together.
1: Yep. Yep. All seven of us.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. So in your book, you focus a lot about um your brother sam i mean you talk about a lot of stuff in your life but sam was definitely a, a major theme through the book so why can you tell us a little bit about him i know he was your older brother tell us a little bit about your relationship
1: yeah um yeah older brother we were born uh 17 months apart so mm-hmm. we uh yeah competed in everything right so we we're very uh competitive uh People often thought that we were twins as we grew up just because we were so like close close in age. age, Yeah. As we got older, uh, Sam was just like. uh, Sam was like my dad in that he had like a work ethic and a motor. So he didn't really watch a bunch of TV, listen to a bunch of music. He was constantly finding a project to work on and to do right. So he was constantly at work. Where I was like, I loved TV and procrastinating and things like that, right? Yeah, so, yes. um, yeah, in high school, me and Sam really bonded around, you know, sports and basketball and played on the same teams. And so mm-hmm. I learned so much about it, chasing goals, achieving things. Uh, yeah, from from Sam, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. So you guys were close and you, I know you looked up to him so oh, yeah. much and that yeah. you like modeled a lot of like what you wanted to do in life after him. And I know he was like, you said, didn't he finish college in like three years?
1: Yeah. So he got done like three and a half years and he was playing basketball and he was doing his masters and lecturing at the school, like teaching guys that were on his team. Like that yeah. was just what Sam was like. Yeah.
0: Totally. All right. So bring us to um, the season of life when he passed away. Like, were you, how old were you guys? Like, were you married? Was he married? Like what was kind of going on in life?
1: Yeah. So uh, me and Sam, we got married. We both got married in 2007. So he got married to his wife in July. Me and my wife were going to get married in August of the same year. But oh my God. mama said, hey, uh, Heck y'all no. <laughs> got yeah, to give us some space. <laughs> so my wife and I got married in November uh, of that year. So that was '07, And okay. Sam passed uh, way in 2015. So okay. we had both been married yeah, about seven and a half years. Um, OK. And it was just... Uh, yeah. Sudden. Right. That that whole week mm-hmm. um, was unique. Sam was pastoring in Memphis at the time. It was right before Easter. You know, the last conversation we had was about what he was going to preach on Easter. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, the resurrection and um, a f- few days before Sam passed. We got bad news of a failed adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, April 10th, 2015. And then yeah, I was speaking at a conference, April 14th, 2015, and got phone calls from my mom trying to get a hold of him. And then I stepped out of the restaurant and called around trying to find out, you know, where he was. And two phone calls later, I just found out he passed suddenly. And mm-hmm. I was yeah, just out there, like in disbelief, crying, and um, and then I had to call all my family members and tell mm-hmm. them, and that was yeah, probably harder than hearing the the news. Right, mm-hmm. repeating the news mm-hmm. was harder than hearing the news, as I had
0: mm-hmm. yeah, you know, absolutely
1: four or five different conversations saying the same thing.
0: Yeah, it's like it makes it even more real.
1: Real, yeah.
0: And then you almost feel like when you're the one giving the news, like you somehow have to be strong for that person.
1: Right, right, right. right.
0: But you, like, you just found out five minutes ago. You know what I mean? Like, you don't right. have anything. You right. know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah, that's tough. Did what was his cause of death? What did? How long did it take for you guys to figure In- it out? So- oh, inconclusive. In-
1: natural causes just went to sleep didn't get back up oh yeah Did so he have yeah. children yeah uh they were 5 3 and 1 at the time oh so, my goodness yeah they are
0: so i know that 6 weeks after his death you planted your church
1: right so we had planned to plant this church and launch it on june 7th 2015 and you know, his, his wife lived in Dallas, um, a whole family was from Houston. He was pastoring in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And so it was this like, you know, the funeral thing in yeah. Memphis and then in Houston and then buried in mm-hmm. Dallas. So it was the back and forth for like two weeks. And then after those two weeks, and it's like, all right, we get back, and it's like, all right, we got four weeks until this, you know, church plant that we've been planning and praying, praying, yeah, for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, stepped back in and just yeah, felt the same thing. Like, oh, I've just got to be strong for people, and mm-hmm. yeah, that was probably one of the worst decisions that I ever made.
0: Yeah, because. D- i that's like, so my personality. And like, after my brother died, it was like very similar. Like I, I went right back to work. I had a brand new job that I had like just started. And I was like, I can't just like take off like for months, like I'm going to get fired. You know what I mean? So like I went right back to work and my sister was getting married and I was helping to plan like her shower and all this. And it was just kind of like, you just go, like, just go, you know, like, just like do the things it'll be a good distraction. And that's not like wrong like yeah there's nothing wrong with like distracting yourself from your pain sometimes but it is like it'll sneak up on you then later you're not gonna get around it right Right. like you're not gonna get oh you're not gonna be the one person that gets to sidestep grief
1: yeah yeah yeah. grief is like grief is like traffic on every road right You, you know you drive and you find yourself stopped so you get off of the, the freeway and you think that, all right, I'm just going to take this back row and every road that you get on. Traffics there. That's what grief's like. There is no way to get around that. Traffic, totally. Right. At some point you have to resign yourself to I'm going to sit in it and I'm going to let it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now. Your wife and like the people that were around you planting the church with you, if if you ask them today, like, OK, so me uh, on church launch day, did you think that I was OK or did you think that I was not OK? Like, ha- like, were you faking it really well? Were you telling people I'm really not doing well? Like, where were you at and what would people have perceived you as? You
1: know, the people really closest to me knew I was struggling. Mm -hmm. But they knew that the grief kind of comes in waves. Right. And you there's sometimes where it's like you're thrown for a loop because you're you find yourself like the closest thing I can think of it is, is like, do you know when you're mad at somebody and they say something really funny and you laugh because it's really funny? But you stop yourself because you're like, I'm not going to laugh at you (laughs) because I'm back, right? Grief's like that, right? uh, You start to enjoy life again. Then you stop yourself and say, I'm not going to laugh. Like, I can't. I'm grieving. So the rest of the world, people that weren't really close, I'm sure they looked up and they're like, ah, John's doing great. Yeah, he's smiling. He's back to normal he's mm-hmm. fine. But the people that were close knew that I, I wasn't fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they knew it better than I did. There were sure. times where I, yeah, I kind of played myself and thought that I was better than I actually was.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, in your book, I think it's how you open the book. You talk about how it was like nine months to a year after he died. When you finally were like, "Oh, okay," like I realize now, I'm completely not fine. Would you share that story with us? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I was. Uh, <laughs> we were a year into the church, probably nine nine months into the church, and I was driving back from Athens, Georgia. So I did the mm-hmm. uh, devotional for the Texas A and M's men's basketball team.
0: Oh, it's awesome. And
1: Yep. Dropped a guy that rode up there with me off. Went to the Nike store to take back some shoes that I bought that were too small. And I was waiting on a parking spot. If you've ever been to Lennox Mall out here, you know parking is hard to come by. So somebody pulls out of the spot and this car zips from behind me and goes into the spot. Uh. And so I'm just like, hey, I've Been here waiting for that spot. And they look at me and they say, Oh, we're just going to pull in here and turn around and get off. And I'm like, Oh, that's fun. And then I wait, I wait, I wait. And then I start to pull up and I see these like three teenage girls um, climb out of the back seat of the car to like sneak into the store. And I roll down my window and, Yo, Caitlin, this is what I'm. I'm 31 at the time. I I hadn't cussed anybody out since I was like 16. Right. And I just start sh- like stringing these phrases together. My fluency shocked me and they go into the store and then a spot comes up right next to the one, right? I pull Man. in and I just sit there and I say, yo, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Like, what did I do? And, um... I got on the phone and I called my wife, I called Trip. I called Richard and I told them, and I was just like, I'm not okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, they had known that sure. that date was the realization for me that, you know, I'm not okay. And that was the first step for me to really get into, you know, some like grief counseling.
0: Mm hmm. So, okay, so you got into some grief counseling. What were some things like that then you did to like, you realize, like, I'm not okay. I don't want to stay not okay. Like, I want to become okay. Like, what did you do?
1: Yeah. 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 One of the things that I was fortunate to be able to do, and I do in hindsight know that it's like there's not many professions where if you deal with grief bad for nine months, your employer will say, hey, you need to take a month off. Right. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. uh, my church granted me a sabbatical that time. and It was one month. It's just like, take some time off. Mm-hmm. We got things covered. And that was a time for me to just kind of yeah, get away process, sit mm-hmm. in traffic, if you will. Right. Yep. I spent a year trying to sidestep grief and they're like nah just sit and work through this Mm -hmm. i started seeing a counselor and early on one of the things that he did was he asked me about john what's your sleep like right Mm -hmm. how are your moods and i'm like man i can't sleep a full night i Mm -hmm. get up i can't go back to sleep and he was like all right here Take melatonin before you go to sleep. It's going to help you sleep through the night. Mm-hmm. And take this herb, St. John's wort. It's a natural herb that helps with moods and stuff. And, and so just those two things, they didn't fix it all. But I realized, yo, after I got a full night's sleep on a continued basis and started to regulate some of my moods, I found myself able to start to do the deep work of processing my grief, why it hurts so bad, who I was really mad at. Right. The fact. Yeah. That, no, no, no. I was really mad and angry at God. Right. Like, you know, my brother didn't die of cancer, so mm-hmm. I couldn't say F cancer and. Right. On and raise funds. Right. My brother wasn't murdered. I didn't have any human person to take my uh, frustration out on. My brother wasn't misdiagnosed by a doctor, right? So there's so many other things where um, when people die, I think it's easy to be distracted and to take your feelings and frustration out on those things. And i realized I didn't have any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day I was really mad and upset at God and uh I didn't have the permission or I didn't feel like I had the permission to tell him and to just say it and uh my grief counselor helped to give me the permission um and give me a script not just to, dialogue with God, but do the inner work of understanding, you know, the nature of my grief and how I felt. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that made a world of difference. One of the most helpful lessons that I've learned in the past seven years is that um, there's no finish line. Mm -hmm.
0: There's
1: no end date there is grief is a journey that we're going to be on until yeah yeah people start to grieve us right and it's You're right. Like leaning into that just helped helped me not be disappointed by false expectations
0: yeah um in your book you take us through kind of like the book of ecclesiastes in the bible and you talk a lot about it. i'm going to read you a quote from your book okay. you said When the teacher tells us there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, he's not talking about options. You can't just add the seasons of life you prefer to your life's registry. He's saying life is weeping and laughing, tearing and mending, keeping and throwing away. The cycle always repeats. One season always follows another and there isn't anything you can do to change it. I loved that because (laughs) I was just like, it's so true. Like, we're so tempted to read that and think like, oh, okay, so all of these things can happen in life. I'm going to choose these. These will be mm-hmm. the ones that I take. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, like, that's not what he's saying. He's oh. saying it is all of these things and it's going to happen over and over. Yeah. Now, how can how can we not let that, like, depress us?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's this, right? Like, I think it's, you know it's depressing initially because mm-hmm. you come to the conclusion all right i can't control things but when you find yourself like deep in that angst it's comforting to realize oh i'm not crazy right like cuz that's the thing you find yourself in this funk and you can't 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 get out of this funk and you feel like what's wrong with me i'm crazy and this helps you see no no listen you're not crazy everybody goes through that thing mm-hmm. but also uh i think leaning into that truth helps us not to expect something that life can't offer right? yeah it's a sometimes i think it's like we put too much of a weight on life uh mm-hmm to give us something in return that life was never meant to give us in re- re- return. And once we see the limitations, we know how to better interact with life. So, I mean, all right, our kids are the same age. My daughter, um, like she grew up in the age of Siri. And so there would be times where we're in the car and I would talk to Siri and ask her to do something specific siri would talk back so as my daughter learns how to talk now she goes to siri to talk and she wants to have a full-blown conversation for <laughs> her yeah. and she's mad when she doesn't get a, a a response back and i say, oh no 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 you're putting too many expectations on her mm-hmm. siri has a limited scope of what she can do mm-hmm. and to the extent that you know and expect that from her, I think you can navigate conversations with Siri well. To the the extent that you expect too much from her, Mm -hmm. you're going to grow increasingly frustrated by her limitations, Mm -hmm. right? Life is the same way. People have to know what they can expect from this life.
0: Totally. I love that. I just interviewed Nicole Zazowski and she has a book called What If It's Wonderful? It's about celebration and joy and things like that. And she went through a really long period of a lot of miscarriages, like things like that. And she said a very similar thing in our interview. She said, like, we are a lot of times expecting to extract more joy from something that it was ever intended to give us. I, and so then we feel disappointed and we feel let down by it. And it's like, this isn't meant to, like this thing isn't going to fulfill you. It's not going to be your everything. It's not going to, you know. So I just think that's so huge.
1: That's absolutely right.
0: So where would you say, I love how you said, well, a few things. A, I love that you said um, that once you realize you had a problem, That there was like an issue, like, okay, like, I clearly haven't processed this. Right. You called your people. Yeah. That's so important. Yeah. You got in with a counselor. That's so important. And I love that, like, the first thing your counselor said was, like, let's get your sleep under control. I think so many people, like, overlook that, like, whatever, like, fix my insides or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, tell me what's, like, what I need to do. And it's like, yo, like, if you're not sleeping, you can't do Jack. Like, you literally can't do anything.
1: We're connected, like, yeah, like, every, our minds, our bodies, and our souls are all housed together. You can't separate them, right? Yes. Any more than you can, yeah, grains of sand, once they've been mixed, you, you just can't pull it apart.
0: So true. It's so true. I just love, I think that's like, you have such an amazing counselor. That's so, that's so good. But I love that you had people in your life that you could call you went to a counselor, you took that time off work, you got yourself together, like in terms of, you know, like resting and, and, and all those things. But I know that, like you said, grief is never going to be over for you. You're never going to get to a point where you're like, check.
1: Right, right. Did
0: the things, all
1: good. Yeah.
0: So, like, where are you at today with it? Like, what does grief look like for you today? Because I know it looks different today than it did the day that you were talking about when you were yeah. cursing at the people in the parking lot. You know, what does it look like today?
1: Yeah, so it's like having the realization that there is no finish line mm-hmm. helps me to focus on the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and the right thing is this, like, we just need to move forward, right? Like, I feel like, when we focus on a destination with grief we constantly find ourselves depressed and disappointed cuz we never feel like we're there
0: totally if we
1: focus on progress then our lives are full of uh oh no no listen grief is still very much there but i'm moving forward people are starting to help like i'm learning to process it i'm learning to like, like not just not cry, because there are still times where I cry and I think of, man, my brother never got to meet my daughter, right? Yeah. I cry when I think of strained relationships with sides of the families that we don't have. But there are times where it's like, I realized this truth, right? When our loved ones pass on or when they die, people tend to think our relationship with them has ended mm-hmm. and that's just not true. Our relationship with them has changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's a, I'm still actively being shaped by the life of my brother. Right. Mm. So in some ways it's a, no, 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 no. Seven years later, I look at my life now and just not being Scared to try and fail. I look at my life now and the things that I've started and embracing who I am, and I see, oh, like I'm more like Sam now than I was like him right then. And there's an aspect of even the constant reflection that comes when somebody passes that in some ways it feels like I think that a lot of this change has gone on because he wasn't here, right? And so you just start to see life um, in a new way and mm-hmm. and and I think slowly, right? So I'm still not all the way there yet. Mm-hmm. There's still times where it's like, God, I know there's things that you were trying to teach me out of this, but you know, surely there could have been a better way to teach me patience or uh. standing or all of these things. So I'm not all the way there yet, but I am at a spot where it's like, all right, I, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with sitting with the realization that I right, God, may in your infinite wisdom. Maybe you do know a little better than I do uh, the length of time that somebody needs to be here on this earth.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love everything that you said. It's so true. It's just like, yeah, like, you know when, after my brother died, I remember my dad saying like, listen, like have, you know, people are always like, think of the good things that have come yeah. out of it. And my dad was like, have good things come out of it? Sure. Like, have we reconnected with family? Like have our eyes been open to certain things? Have we been able to, you know, have more empathy for other people and connect with it? Absolutely. But he said, is all of that quote unquote, worth it to me for the, for the life of my son? No. Like he was like, if I could trade it, today, this moment, I would, of course right. I would. Right, But that's just part of, I think like the mystery of God that we just like, we're not going to know exactly yeah. quote unquote why, you yeah. know, like something happens or how, why it had to be like that or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my it's- goodness. It's just
0: part of it. So I love, I just love everything that you said. The other thing about your story that I think is so interesting is how your journey to become a father was so like interwoven with your story with Sam. So you, you talked about it a little bit before. So, but let's back it up a little bit. So you and your wife got married and you wanted to start a family right away.
1: Right away. Um, So tell us about that. Yeah, it started to, we got married in November 07 by February 08. We're like, all right, let's start the kid train.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just uh, Again, just unexplained infertility. That's been our thing for the past mm. 15 years. They're like, nah, things are working. Timing is right. We don't know why. Um, but at this time, all of our friends, it seemed like it's like, oh, you were just pregnant six weeks ago. How are you (sighs) pregnant again?
0: Yes. Uh, There's people, it's like they sneeze and you're like, you're pregnant. Are you kidding? Right.
1: (laughs) And so I think we just had conversation after conversation with folks that were like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm pregnant again. And we had this, Mm. oh, kids are a blessing. It's a good thing. Right. And um, so we started the adoption process. And again, that's another convo for a, another day. The system is broken. It was sure. a horrendous experience for us. April 10th, 2015, uh, we get a failed adoption about a baby girl we've been trying to adopt for a year. Oh, um, April 14th, my brother dies. He takes his last breath. Um, and we come back and we say, all right, hey, let's slow things down. Let's kind of put pause, put the pause uh, button on it. Then we pick things back up um, and the process just moves super quick in 2017 to the point where it's like April 10th, 2017, we get a phone call and it's, hey, this baby, she's been born. She's been here for a few days. She's premature three pounds Mm. the parents picked you she's yours so it was like two years to the date that we got the call that the adoption failed we got a call about our baby girl being premature she Mm -hmm. was uh being premature she was um on a breathing machine Mm -hmm. and uh um it was good friday 20 17 April the 14th so it was the day that my brother died it, we I was getting ready to drive back from where my daughter was to you know to preach at our church for a good Friday and I'm reflecting on the day that all right it's it's the day that Sam died it's it's the day that Christ died 2000 years ago yeah um and I'm reading my daughter a chapter in a book and it's about adoption in God's family, just Mm -hmm. a sweet chapter. And before I knew it, the the doctor like takes her out of my hands. And before I have a chance to protest, he says, Hey, today's the day that she's going to breathe on her own, takes the breathing machine out. Uh. And on that day, it's like, on the day my brother took his last breath on the day, my savior took his last breath. My daughter took her first unassisted uh breaths and so I'm beautiful. just bawling, weeping. Mm. And it was at that point that it was like I didn't realize if they were tears of joy or tears of sorrow, mm-hmm. uh, because they all tasted the same. And that was where it was like, oh, joy and sorrow can mix. They don't like we don't it's not a binary, right? All those tears taste the same. And it was just, it's funny because it's like that moment of her breathing on her own was a special moment. But the joy of that time was heightened. I think that the diamond of that joy was heightened because it was shining against the black cloth of Sam's death. And it's like, oh, all sure. right. Th- this, this is just a small part in some way of God saying, no, no, listen, I'm not going to do anything that's not necessary for your ultimate joy and your good. And that was a point where I just stepped back and it was like, all right, maybe God does have this thing under control.
0: Mm, that is so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And now your baby girl's five.
1: Yeah. She's five. She's thriving. Oh, she's so, true. so tall. Oh my <laughs> goodness. She's taller than all the other kids in the class. She's uh, beautiful, gorgeous, thriving. Yeah.
0: Come a long way from that three pounds, huh? I
1: know. <laughs> Crazy. It's crazy to think.
0: Oh, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting. We don't often hear from a man's perspective like an infertility journey. Right. You know what I mean? Like usually it's like women are now finally like opening up about it and women like talk about this more, you know. But like I don't know that I've really heard a guy like talk about it, to be honest with you. What was that like for you and your wife? Like, did you process it the same? Like
1: oh, no, different. different. Okay. So when we first got the diagnosis, there was part of me that was like, um, all right, we always wanted to adopt. And I just went right into that. We thought that we would have bio kids first and then we Let's just, uh, dot. And so I didn't skip a beat. And so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And, uh, All the while, I think my wife was mourning. Mm -hmm. And as she was mourning, I tried to encourage her by saying, um, yo, they say that we can't have kids. This may just be not yet, not yet, not yet. It's going to be okay. Things are going to take place. And she was just like, you don't get it. And uh, she patiently just put up with some of my uh, insincerity in those days. And then uh, I'll never forget it was 2012 and we started the adoption journey. And I just sat one day and I thought like, yo, I've been saying not yet, like when it comes to us being able to have kids of our own. But then it was like, yo, what if the not yet is a not ever? Yeah. What if I never get to have the joy of being able to walk through the mall with my daughter and have somebody say she looks just like you? Mm. And then I started to like, oh my goodness. And then I went and I told Chandra, it's like, yo, Sean, guess what? I just thought about. What if it's not ever? And I think it's some revolutionary thing. And she's like, no, John, this is, you know, this is why I've been sad all these years. Like. Mm you just made it to the destination that I've been at for all these years. And so it was at that point, it was like, Oh my goodness. Like I spent my time, you know, lecturing her to find joy and hope in a future reality that may not be there. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's where I feel like, uh, and from a man's standpoint, I, I, I think, or at least from mine, you know, there was so much more that she had to mourn or that she would miss out on, right? You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: pregnancy is something sure. I wouldn't experience. I'll never know what it's like to, you know, carry a baby or to, you know, you know, feed one or just to have that bond. Oh. There are aspects of, of that that she has to mourn. And yet we just... We just don't get, um, so, yeah. So for me, I think it was a realization. And I think I've spent that time since whenever I meet somebody that's mourning infertility. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, kind of feel a, a little push or a prompt to get the husband away and say, hey, fam, this is how I messed up. Yeah. you don't have to make the same uh, mistake that I do. So, mm.
0: yeah.
1: yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just really interesting that you had these two very unique, very different grief journeys kind of happening like at the same time, right. You know, and like navigating that, what was that like for your marriage?
1: Yeah. We had the highest of the highs at that time and mm-hmm. the, Lowest of the, the lows. When people use the phrase living with depression, mm. they often use it in terms of themselves. Mm-hmm. I have depression. I know what it's like to live with depression. When you're married, you can live with depression even if you aren't depressed.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. If
1: you're depressed, then you find yourself living with depression. Uh, Depression, and I, I, I think it's harder sometimes to live with depression in your spouse than it is to live with you and yourself. Because when you're depressed, you know how to give yourself grace and mercy, and you, yeah, understand when your spouse does as much as you try. You get to a point where you see the effort that they take to make the rest of the world feel like they're fine, and then they come home and. You just can't keep that mask on 24 seven. So you get the brunt of it. And so Mm -hmm. I think infertility, uh, yeah. I dealt with it with my wife uh, in the death of my brother. My wife dealt with it with me. And so I think in the midst of it, it was, If not for the community that God placed us in, right? Um, there's no way that we would have made it. And we say that all the time. Like It's the community that God placed us in that was the saving grace for us. On the other side of it, I think it's been a thing that it's helped to bring us both closer together as now we understand what it means to sympathize. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love how much... Uh, a part of your story, like your community is.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's
0: just like clear that they've really like been the definition of like true community and carried you through when you guys couldn't, you know, carry yourselves.
1: Absolutely.
0: I love that. Yeah. Um, hey, before I let you go, would you tell us about Portrait Coffee?
1: Yeah. Portrait Coffee is a project that we started in 2019. And okay. It came out of a love and a heart that me and my business partner had for coffee and uh, a desire f- to see a uh, better representation take place in coffee. All right, so uh, illustration, word picture, and then we'll be done with it. Um, when I first moved to Atlanta, I parked my car and I got on the train here and our train goes north to south, east to west. And I did an experiment where I just sat at the south of the train and rode north and rode back down. And it was, I wasn't trying to go any place in particular. I really just wanted to see the city through how folks were. And on that train, there were two things that I saw. When the train went from south to north, there were two things that changed. The inside of the train changed. And the outside of the train change. So when the train is south, uh, it's full, it's all black and brown people. Okay. As the train goes north, the demographics flip-flop. So mm-hmm. black and brown people get off more and more white folks get on. And it is this crazy thing where the train goes from like Wakanda to Switzerland in like 25 minutes.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: But it's not just the inside of the train that changes. The outside of the train does as well, too. So with each stop that you go up north, the economic conditions Mm. skyrocket and improve. So literally, it's a parable of, yeah, Black and brown people getting off the train before they can take advantage of the economic opportunities of a city that they helped build. Yeah. If you take the coffee supply chain and overlay that with our train stop, the exact same thing takes place. Coffee almost exclusively grows along the equator. So it grows where black and brown folks grow. But with each stop of that supply chain, as it goes north through uh, processing, exporting, importing, roasting, retailing, by the time you buy that $20 bag off of the shelves, um, it's left in the hands of black and brown folks a long time ago. Right. And, uh It was just birthed out of we were black folks that loved coffee and we felt like there wasn't exposure or representation in an industry that does like $250 billion per year. Totally. And we were trying to bring jobs to, or not just jobs, we were trying to bring careers to the opportunity desert that is the neighborhood that we live in. Mm. We said, let's take an industry. That anybody can learn, let's bring it to the West End. We'll start a shop and we'll just kind of take this thing slow and steady. So March 1st, 2020, uh, we signed a five-year lease on a building in our community.
0: 2020.
1: Huh? March. And a week later, a movie crew came and said, hey, we're shooting a film. Can we rent out the inside of your space? And we're like, right, Sure. And then a week later, COVID shut things down. Well, that crew was like, hey, we're just going to have to move our stuff and come back. Can we just pay our rent until we can shoot again? They stayed until Thanksgiving. And so at that point, we said we read an article by this guy and he said, most people think the pandemic is going to be like a bad snowstorm. You know, let's be inside the house for a few days and then we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. They're wrong. Most people think it's going to be like a bad blizzard. We'll be inside the house for a few weeks and then we'll come back. They're wrong. Most people think it's a bad winter. We'll be inside the house for the few months and come back. They're wrong. He's like, the people that are going to thrive are those that see this as the ice age and fundamentally change the way that they do business. And so at that point, we said, hey, I know we were going to do a shop and roast." on the side let's change this and let's make the main thing the e-commerce brand and build it out and tell stories of black and brown folks and underrepresented spaces and the thing just exploded and we've been able to create not just jobs but careers and it was the thing where I mean yeah we worked hard but in so many ways we were in the right place at the right time, and God took just a terrible, terrible, prolonged season in our society, in our world, and mm-hmm. out of that, right, He brought something yeah, sweet for us. So, yeah, Portrait Coffee just aims to change the picture that comes to mind when people think of specialty coffee, and that's what's what amazing. To do.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. So, how can we get it?
1: Uh, you can go online to portrait.coffee and you okay. can buy it there. Uh, or you can go to target.com. Ooh. Portrait Coffee. Or when does this one air?
0: This will come out end of June, June All 20th.
1: Right. All right. There's another big box retailer that we're going to be in, but I'll tell you offline. I don't okay. Okay. To say it. Okay. 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 But yeah. Search online. Okay. Coffee. Uh, yeah. And there's a bunch of ways that you can get it.
0: I love it. That is amazing. I love, I love that story. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. God's just been, yeah. It's the type of thing where it's, we realize that God is the best story writer. Right. There's so much that it's like, if we, were the authors of our own story, we would never put tragedy or heartache in them. Mm-hmm. And the stories would be, they wouldn't be compelling, uh, but yeah, but God does. and mm-hmm. But in also putting tragedy in there, he fills it with hope. And we're mm-hmm. reminded that yeah, tragedy doesn't ruin people hopelessness does right mm. and so god gives us hope as much tragedy as he allows to come our way he makes sure that there's that the hope that he gives is enough to swallow that tragedy whole so
0: i love that that's so so well said i love that so much where can we find you online so we know where to find portrait where can we find you
1: Okay. Um, Instagram, J-A-W-N underscore O. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, I used to be on Twitter a whole bunch, but I realized that lately, at least for me, Twitter is just a terrible place. I know. I, so yes, I get it. I've been spending time trying to curate uh, an online community. So you can go to John o, J-O-H-N-O, Dot blog, and that. that is a newsletter that I put out. Comes out at four a.m. each week. uh Beautiful. And Johno dot co. That's the website that has all the other stuff that I'm in. So that's the best way to okay. Like you know, me on IG and TikTok and all that. Yeah.
0: Awesome, and we can get your book. We go on on Amazon and anywhere you buy you a
1: book. You buy books. Yep.
0: I love it, John. Thank you so 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 much i love talking to thank you,
1: you Caitlin. it was an absolute pleasure
0: oh everything you say is just like so compelling like i just i love i loved it i know this is going to touch so many people so thank
1: you so much thank you so much
0: hey thanks for joining us today don't forget to subscribe and follow on apple podcasts spotify dot or wherever you get your podcasts and hey if you want to toss us a five-star rating i would love you forever Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.